Hello, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, April the 23rd. I hope that you are doing well. We're going to continue today looking at some verses from the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. Today we look at John 14, verses 15 through 31. I'm going to read from the NIV. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I'll not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now let us leave. The Bible insists that God helps the helpless, right? It's not that proverb that we've heard that's not biblical at all that says that, that God helps those who help themselves. That's, that's anti-gospel, So today, if you are feeling helpless, if you are somewhat hopeless, don't despair. If if we're feeling lonely and if we're feeling discouraged, don't lose heart. Jesus has a word for us. In John 14, verses 15 through 31, on the eve before his death, Jesus gives to his very distressed disciples his final words. In these waning moments, he declares that God helps those who help themselves to him. This is the message of John 14, and really the whole of the scripture. And In every area of spiritual life, from beginning to end, God helps those who help themselves to him. God helps those who are helpless. This passage begins in 1415 with this hinge verse, if you will. John links the previous section of of chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, with this section, 15 through 31. Previously, Jesus taught about his relationship to the Father, and now he explains his relationship to the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, my commandments. Jesus doesn't command his disciples to love him, but to obey him. Love and obedience, we're going to see, are linked throughout 
this passage. This is because John's use of love, agapao, isn't an abstract emotion, but it's something intensely practical, and it involves obedience. You know, fortunately, Jesus doesn't expect just simple raw determination or just discipline from us to pull off his commands. Instead, he seems to say, as you attempt to obey me, I will give you my enablement, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Jesus puts it like this. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That's verse 16. Jesus promises a helper that will be with us forever. The Greek word translated helper is Pericleotis, or for smoother English, Paraclete. Paraclete is often very difficult to translate into English. A lot of English versions sort of lend it this way into the term helper. That's in the NASB, the ESV, the New King James, counselors in the NIV, comforters in the King James, advocate is in the NET and the NLT. But perhaps the, the ambiguity of the word emphasizes that the Holy Spirit helps us in a lot of different ways. It's not just that he consoles us and when we're in sorrow and grief, but he also makes us strong in the face of opposition, in the face of temptation, in the face of trial. The term paraclete, it's like this diamond. It means something slightly different depending on how you hold it toward the light and how you view it. Yet since we're probably hoping for, you know, or at least I'm hoping for, Often the Cliff Notes version, helper is is the most all-encompassing translation. The only real drawback to helper is that it suggests subordinate. It, it, it suggests a less than rank. But on the contrary, the Holy Spirit is not just looking to help us when, when we're in a bind, when we're in the grip. Rather, he wants to consume us, to take us over. Remember, God doesn't help those who help themselves. No, God helps those who, who help themselves to him. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, it encourages us, it holds us up, it picks us up, it dusts us off, it gets us going again. The Holy Spirit is eternally patient with us. The Holy Spirit is continually grieved by my behavior, but still persists in love and care for me. That's an amazing God. But perhaps we're still not satisfied. We may feel that the Holy Spirit is somehow like the third string member of the Trinity following God the Father and God the Son. And before we start feeling like we're receiving some inferior care, we we have to note the phrase, another helper. Two different Greek words can be translated another, alos, which means another of the same kind, and heteros, another of a different kind. The word that Jesus uses to describe the coming helper is alos, which means another helper just like him. Jesus is comforting his disciples by assuring them they don't need to be troubled at his leaving because he is sending a helper, (coughs) excuse me, just like him. There'll be no loss in this exchange. If we've ever wanted to walk and talk with Jesus like the disciples, well, we can. We can experience something even better. We have the Holy Spirit. Unlike Jesus, when he was on earth, the Holy Spirit is always present and will always be with us forever. Jesus Jesus explains that the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth. In verse 17a, he is the Spirit of Truth because he communicates and bears witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Truth, well, that's an important title given to the Holy Spirit. And it's also used in chapter 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 13. The emphasis on truth reminds us that the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives 
is to interact with God's truth. Jesus says that the spirit of truth is a person whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That's verse 7, the second part. Jesus states that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because they don't have a relationship with him. And if we have believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit abides with us and in us. This means that the best help we can have for whatever problem we face, well, it's inside, it's, in, it's internal, it's not external. But how often I want to go externally for solutions to my problems. In chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Literally, I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I will come to you. This verse affirms the, that doctrine, that very biblical doctrine of adoption, which may be the most healing and comforting doctrine in the entire Bible. Jesus doesn't abandon us, his children. When we are a member of his family, we will never be left alone. In fact, Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'll be closer to you than ever before. When people hurt you and disappoint you, I will be there. You can count on me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's found in Deuteronomy in Joshua and in Hebrews. And then in 14, chapter 14, back to, to John verses 19 through 20, Jesus continues, after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also in that day. You will know that I am in my father and you and me and, and I and you. He returns to this emphasis on love and obedience in, in verses 21 through 24. He, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These verses appear to state that Jesus loves us more when we obey him and that he loves some believers perhaps more than others. Maybe we need some clarification because that's what it seems to be saying. Our obedience doesn't make God love us more than he would otherwise. God's love for all people is essentially is as great as it can be. After all, he died on a cross for humanity. He was, he was risen to, to, uh, to proof text that sacrifice that the debt is paid in full. He can't love us more than he, he would otherwise. However, in the family relationship that Jesus is describing, our obedience allows God to express his love for us without restraint. You see, when there's disobedience, God doesn't express his love as fully because he has to discipline us. That's, that's biblical. That's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Without question, some believers love Jesus more than others do. And this results in some believers obeying him more than others, and therefore enjoying a more intimate relationship and greater understanding of him than others enjoy. I have, I have three children. Um, I love equally. Uh, it's different. Each love is different because they're different, but I love them equally. However, if any of my children are rebellious, disobedient, Well, there has to be consequences for that. There has to be discipline. That doesn't affect my love for them. It's actually another way of expression of my love. 
But if that rebellion persists, well, we may not be able to be as intimate as I would like for us to be. I may not be able to give them some of the privileges or the rewards that come from from a right relationship, from an obedient relationship. My love for my children doesn't change, but our fellowship can. And so three other observations are, are in order. First, the verb disclose, emphanizo, in, in chapter 14, verse 21, means that Jesus will make himself known to obedient believers through the Holy Spirit. Second, the word translated abode, mone, in verse 23 of chapter 14, is the same word translated dwelling places in verse 2. Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for us, but he and the Father also dwells with us to the degree that we obey him. And thirdly, all this emphasis on obedience is ultimately for our own good. I have never regretted an occasion of being obedient to Jesus. I have often regretted countless episodes in my life when I was disobedient. And then in verses 25 through 26, Jesus shares with his disciples another role of the helper. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I said to you. If we ever wanted to know how it is that the New Testament came to be written, well, part of the answer is right here. The disciples didn't walk around Galilee with little notepads waiting for Jesus to, to say something so that he could take notes and then, you know, negotiate some kind of publishing contract. They had, they had absolutely no intention of writing anything. They never expected Jesus to leave. But later, much later for some of them, the necessity arose to preserve the things that had happened so that those of a new generation could know about them. And and that is what they began to write. The reason the Holy Spirit would put these things into the minds of the apostles because he wanted to put them into our minds. It is the Spirit who puts the words into Scripture. And it is the Spirit who helps us recall what we have read when we need it. But I can't recall something that I, have, that I haven't learned. I can't remember something I haven't read or heard. So if we're looking for spiritual recall, it's critical that we immerse ourselves in God's truth, not in books written about God's truth necessarily, but God's truth, his word. It is living. It is breathing. Let the Holy Spirit guide us and teach us. Instead of being baby bird fed by what someone else thinks. And that certainly includes me. Don't take my word for it. Open your scriptures. Read them. Let the Holy Spirit speak his truth. There are many reasons for for reading the Bible, going to church and being a member of a small group. But one major reason is that it gives the Holy Spirit something to bring up, some truth to work with. Yes, he is the spirit of truth, but he doesn't drop it on us unless we've been studying the truth. Exposure to God's word changes us. It changes our souls. And with each exposure to the word, to God's word and presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit changes us. We become more receptive to God's message to us, and we gradually become more like Jesus as we seek out God in our lives. Jesus exclaims, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I do give to you. So do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be fearful. Verse 27, Jesus promises his disciples peace, but not just any peace. Jesus offers his very own peace. 
that, that phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled, takes us back to, to chapter 14, verse 1, in the very beginning the very beginning of the chapter. But Jesus now has this phrase, or be fearful, because he's about to depart and his disciples are becoming increasingly anxious. And as a result, they, 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 need, they need the peace that he, only he can offer. Jesus' peace adds something to, to life rather than subtracting something. We're, we're used to thinking of peace as the absence of, of something, right? It's the absence of conflict, the absence of stress, the absence of worry. But Jesus's peace includes the absence of distress, but it also in, but it also includes the presence of blessing. In fact, maybe we could go so far as to say that the absence of distress is the result of God's blessing. Jesus is offering peace that is a settled sense of well-being and security. Jesus is there. He's always there offering everything we need. He is there offering us peace. And then in verse 28, Jesus utters this fascinating verse. You, you, heard that, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Previously in, in chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And in this verse, he's speaking of of his essential co-equality with God as the one sharing the Godhead with the Father. And here in verse 28, he's, he's referring to his, his voluntary position as a servant under God, one is, as one sent by the Father. Jesus is saying that, that he is the humble, submissive son who submits himself to the authority of the Father. These words Jesus spoke to his disciples, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. They're relevant to us. Although God has given us people and things to enjoy, it's important to hold them with a loose grasp, with a loose grip. At some point, God may choose to take them from our hands. And the loss is painful. But if we're clutching them so tightly, you know, what are we clinging to? Are we, are we clinging to a job, to a title, to a person? to our family, to possessions? Are we clinging to the past? You see, I need to remember the Lord not only gives, gives, but he someday may take away that which he has for a time entrusted to my care. If he does, our possessiveness could find us in this tug of war with God. And the passage closes with verses 29 through 31 with these words from Jesus. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, but for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up and let, let's, let's go on from here. There's some interesting tidbits in these, these three verses. First of all, in verse 29, Jesus tells the disciples that he has told them all these things before they happen so that when they do happen, that they may believe. This does not mean that they hadn't believed prior to this time, but, but over and over, John affirmed that they have. But, but when they see these things happen, their level of trust in Jesus is going to increase. Their concept of who he, who he is is going to expand. And so we too must pray that, that our faith in Christ continually increases. Lord Jesus, increase my faith. And then secondly, in verse 30, he declares, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The, the phrase constitutes sort of a, a, a rendering of a Hebrew expression frequently found often in legal contexts with this sense that he has no claim on me. It's, therefore, it doesn't mean he, he, has, he has no power over me, but he has no claim or hold on me. Jesus is not going to capitulate his mission to be obedient um, to the fa- to his father, so so we too must seek to obey Jesus and fulfill His will in our lives, no matter what.
Amen, and God bless.